Well, how good was that? Yeah. I, uh, I sent David, um, actually we were in a meeting on Monday and I showed David that song and I was like, dude, let's listen to this song. And uh, he listened to it and he's like, I could tell his wheels are turning, didn't say much. And then he messaged me about midweek and he's like, that song has just been in my head. Like, I can't get it out of my head. He's like, I'm like we got to pull it off this weekend. And uh, so just appreciate him taking the time to do that. And then if you don't you didn't really kind of grab the concept there, you know, over here, he's singing on one mic, and he's really kind of singing kind of the heart of the orphan, the, the one that doesn't exactly know how to receive God's love, experience God's love. And then on this side, step over to really the heart of the father, just singing over uh, the orphan. And just what a powerful message, I'm not walking out on you. And so uh, that's the reality that we get to live in, and it's a powerful reality. And today, uh, we're continuing on our series called uh, staycation. So we've been doing a little staycation week to week. Week one, we talked about uh, the spirit of stay a while, practicing hospitality. Uh, last week, we got to talk about um, the idea of staying calm and really uh, this value of not worrying and how to allow God to help us to conquer worry. And today, the message is stay real. And so in the spirit of real, uh, we're going to um, have a little bit of, uh, uh, maybe a little fun here to get together as we get started. And I want you just to be able to identify, and I love that kids are hanging out with us today, uh, so I want you guys to participate in this as well. I'm going to be giving you various headlines, and these are all real headlines that were on the internet. You ever heard the, the uh, saying, don't believe everything you heard on the internet? Some of these are real, some of these are not real. They were all on the internet, but some of these are based in truth, some of them are not. All right, so uh, let's see if you can identify which of these is actually true, and I'll cite my source because if, don't blame me if some of these are wrong, but blame the Guardian. This is where I got this. So uh, here's number one, all right? NASA is installing internet on the moon. Is that a real uh, headline or a fake headline? Uh, go ahead and say that to somebody next to you, uh, real or fake, that NASA is installing internet on the moon. All right, how many of you said that that was fake, that's a fake headline? You would all be wrong. It's a real headline, and NASA is installing internet on the moon. Apparently, it's starting with 4G. So, you know, they're not going to have 5G up there just yet before you get to try to, you know, move your family up there or anything like that. But they will have some internet access. We can't get away from it, you know, even on the moon, you know. Man. Uh, all right, how about this one? Um, couple in California names baby with an emoji. It's just an emoji. This is, is this real or fake? Um, this headline you know somebody's thought about doing it, whether it's real or fake, right? How many of you said it was real? That's actually fake, all right? That's made up. But it was a headline. That, I mean, which emoji would they pick? It could change at any moment, right? Like, now I'm changing your name to, you know, sad face right now because you're, you're being a little bit grumpy, okay? All right. So, all right, what about this one? And this is another headline that was on the internet. It's either real or fake. Um, German street covered in chocolate after a leak from the chocolate factory. All right, German street covered in chocolate after a leak from the chocolate factory, real or fake? All right, who said it's a real? It is actually real. I'm like, that's some good news. Like, let's go. Let's all go pack up and, uh, and just eat some chocolate off the street, you know? It can't be that unsanitary, right? All right, what about this one, real or fake? Uh, woman wins $10 million after accidentally pushing the wrong button on a lottery machine. 
Woman, woman wins $10 million after accidentally pushing the wrong button on a lottery machine. Is that real or fake? How many of you said real? I heard a lot. Of, some of you maybe read that story. So apparently this woman uh, had gone into this Los Angeles supermarket. She'd always buy these lottery tickets. And some rude person bumped into her as they were leaving the store. And it caused her to press the wrong button on the lottery, she bought the wrong ticket. She usually would buy the cheaper tickets, but she accidentally pushed the button that bought her a $30 200X scratcher ticket and ended up being worth $10 million. She's like looking over and over like, are you, is this for real? Okay, thank you, rude person. I appreciate that. I'll take my money now. And uh, so there you go. Uh, what about this one? Gas station manager fired after mistakenly setting the price to $0.69 cents per gallon on the gas pump. Some of you heard that story. That, it's a real story. Six, it was meant to be $6.99. It's just a, kids, this is why decimal places matter, okay? This is, this is a bit, it costs the station about $16,000 in just a couple hours before they realize it. And so they, they nixed their guy, they kicked him out. And so somebody set up a GoFundMe. Like there's a GoFundMe for everything now. And uh, somebody set up a GoFundMe to get... The, the, to help the family out, the guy out that lost his job, that lost the station $16,000. So uh, that is good. Well, it can be tough to spot, you know, what's real and what's not, right? I mean, it really can. And I thought this was an interesting, as we talk about today's staycation, which is this concept of staying real. I thought it was interesting that the kids were in the room today. Because, like, I had just remembered last night, oh, this is like an all-in Sunday. We're going to have elementary kids in the room. I'm like, how do I teach these guys about authenticity? And then it occurred to me, you don't have to teach elementary kids about authenticity, right? If you have elementary or younger kids in your home, you know that they're really good at being authentic. They, they are. You know exactly where you stand with them. You know exactly when they're upset about something or something's not going quite right because they haven't yet learned the, the, what well, the rest of us learned, which is the how to pretend, right? How to fake it, right? How to sort of control our emotions and things like that. And so... Uh, Elementary kids, you guys just hang out and, uh, and take what you can from today. But um, it is something that I believe that we do have to relearn. When we really think about this idea of being authentic, right, of being true, true to ourselves and really true to who God created us to be, this is something that ends up really not being quite so natural. In fact, the other faking it is, is more of the natural course if we're not aware uh, of, of kind of how uh, our life is going. It ends up being something that just kind of becomes natural, right? That we know when to fake it and when to not, when to put on reality and when to not do that. Because, yeah, it's, it's challenging to find, you know, um, trustworthy people today, to find authenticity, people who say who they are, real people. And some of you are like, yeah, I know some people like that. But then we forget there's a little bit of that in all of us, right? There's a little bit of that in all of us. And it's even in the church, Maybe you resonate with what one young faith leader wrote in 2007 when he said, authentic community, authentic faith, and authentic Jesus are the cry of the new generation. We don't want to be fooled anymore. We don't want to be gullible. We want, we want flawed. We want imperfect. We want real. And I believe that authenticity is something that people are hungry for, that something that we have this ability as followers of Jesus to really demonstrate in a world that's filled with anything but authenticity. In a world of scandals, in a world of disturbing secrets, in a world of corrupt leaders, in a world of fake news stories, I mean, what is more refreshing than actually experiencing some authenticity? 
And I think that if we're really going to dive into the message today, before we even say that we can stay real, we have to get real. I think we have to get real with ourselves. We've got to get real with God and ultimately allow him to guide us into our authentic selves. And so this morning, I just want to offer you a few things that I feel like, biblically speaking, allow us to do that, to be authentically who we were created to be and to represent that in a world that's hungry for it. And the first thing is this. I think the first thing that any of us must do if we're really going to be authentic in the way that we live is we have to all get to the place where we come out of hiding. We come out of hiding. I remember uh, when Jess and I had been married for just a couple of years, um, she called me when I was in Texas. I was actually doing a wedding down there. She's like, hey, I got a cool surprise for you when you get home. So I get off the plane. I'm super excited to see what it is. We open up the car door, and there's this little furball dog on the front seat. Now, we had talked about it, so I wasn't completely caught off guard. I didn't just buy a puppy while I was gone. We talked a little bit about it, but I didn't know that, like, this would be the time. And so here, she's got this little fur. I mean, it looks like a Furby. Like, it's like, you know, and it's all, like, hair is, like, straight afroed up. And, like, I don't know what's actually dog and what's just fur. Like, I feel like if I squeezed it down, it would be, like, this big. And so he's sitting there on the seat, and I, like, you know, I picked him up, and he's all, like, you know, scared and, like, literally shaking the entire time. We get home, and he... Um, he's actually like, will just not come out. Like he's hiding underneath this little thing that we have and he's just back there like he won't come out and I'm trying to like lure him out. Like, come here, buddy, come here, come on out of here. And uh, my wife told me, like, I'm like, babe, how big is he gonna be? And she's like, oh, like 35 pounds. I'm like, oh, really, how do you know that? Um, she's like, because I asked the guy, um, I said I wanted about a 35-pound dog and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, this one will be 35 pounds. Now, he turned out to be 90, but that's a different story. He's a big dog, but this little thing, like, you know, and we named him Roscoe. This is a sweet little puppy. He had this sweet little spirit, but he wouldn't come out of hiding, you know, for like two days. And I'm, you know, finally over time, I was like, he started to notice, like, I'm feeding him. I'm giving him water. I don't mean him any harm. And finally, he came out. He ended up being just this most lovable dog that you've ever met. I mean, he actually was a little bit of an excessive licker, you know what I'm saying? Anybody got a dog like that? It's like I'm just sitting on the couch, just licking my leg. Like, I'm like, bro, like, give me a little space, you know? So he, be, he went from this place of not even wanting to interact with us to, like, just being the most lovable dog that anyone, you know, could ever have. And I'm like, how do you get from scared puppy to, you know, lovable dog? Well, over time, what he realized is that we didn't mean him harm, right? But we, we loved him. We cared for him. We, we nourished him and took care of him. And I can't help but wonder if, some of our reaction to God is this tendency to just hide from him. I mean, we see him as someone that, not just that we're meant to be reverent of, but someone that we're just afraid of, we're flat out scared of. And especially if we've got things in our life that, that we're trying to keep secret or things in our life that aren't the best, we do this thing naturally, the same thing that Adam and Eve did, which is to run from God, right? Which is to hide from God. Because there's no way I'm going to him when I've got this going on in my life. And what ends up happening is that the more that we hide out, the more tangled we become in this web of sin, the more that we get sucked into this place. And the enemy has us exactly where he wants us when he has us in hiding. As one psychologist points out, the unexposed is the unhealed. And so the more that we leave things unexposed, the more that this process of, you know, just being unhealed and, and not whole really continues to perpetuate in our lives. King David, he understood this, didn't he? 
He gave in to lust, which gave way to adultery, which brought an unexpected child, which caused him to try to do whatever he could to cover this entire thing up. And so the more that he was in hiding, the more that he tried to cover up, the worse and worse things came. This is what happens when we hide out. It compounds consequences. It reinforces guilt, shame, and fear, which makes us want to hide more. In Psalm 32, 4, take David's advice when he says this, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, he makes it sound really easy, but actually what happened is the prophet Nathan laid that on him and sort of helped him to see the fault in his own ways and drew him out of himself. And so he comes to this place where he acknowledges his sin before God. And the very thing that he expects, which is just to be crushed by God, he receives the opposite of that. He confesses his sin to God and God forgave the guilt of my sin. And that's the last thing we would expect, right? The last thing we would expect is, just like David sung about, that God wouldn't just run out on us in the midst of our mess. Rather, God still draws near. He still tries to coax us out of hiding and says, listen, if you could just understand a few things here. Listen, I already know. I already know what's going on in your life. So you think you're hiding? You think you can escape from my presence? There's nowhere you can go from my presence. There's no secret that you can keep from me. He wants to tell us, listen, hiding is not helping. I know that you think it is, but it's not. You have to come out of hiding. And if God could speak into us right now and he could speak to someone who's in hiding right now, he would assure you, listen, I want to overwhelm you with my love. Sure, there's natural consequences. Sure, there's things you're going to have to deal with. But I want to help you. I don't want to harm you. I love you. I care for you. I want what's best for you if you would just come out of hiding. And as I've had just honestly the privilege to walk with people and really get to help shoulder burdens as people are going through things, as people are confessing things. You know, I I never have the reaction when somebody confesses something to me to be like, you did what? Like that happened? Are you serious? Why? Because I know my own life and I know how easy it is to get caught up in these things myself, number one. And number two, I actually at that moment when somebody comes forward and they're like, listen, I got to share something with you. This has been heavy on me for a long time and I can see that in their eyes. They've been carrying guilt, they've been carrying shame, and they've been living amidst some secret. And they're finally able to express that and state that out loud. I actually praise God for those moments. Why? Because this is the beginning of healing. This is the beginning of wholeness when we can finally come out of hiding and say, God, all that I have I lay bare before you knowing that you want to welcome me into your loving arms. 1 John 4, 16 through 18 has a word that many of you need to hear today, and it's this. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And some of you, if you're honest, you still approach God with that fear. You haven't quite gotten to that place where you've been perfected in love. This is a difficult thing for us to really grasp, not just in our minds, but truly experience in our heart and in our life. 
But God wants to welcome you in his vast love, a love that is like no other love. And so here's my challenge for you. Stop hiding from Christ and start hiding in Christ. Colossians 3, 3 through 4 says this, For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Did you catch that? You died to this life. Your real life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will also share in his glory. That is true of you, friends. So stop hiding from Christ and start hiding in Christ. We have to come out of hiding. The next thing we have to do is quit playing pretend. Quit playing pretend. We, uh, a few of us were a part of a murder mystery party the other day. I got to, I've never actually been part of one of these before, but I did have a, a, a very long-standing acting career. I don't know if you guys knew this about me, but I, back in my high school days, I played a few key roles in some, uh, some different things. And um, so, uh, true story, but I gave up my acting career after high school, but I got to get it back a little bit last night, and I got to play the role of uh, Mark Itting. There he is. And... Uh, I know, and hey, I actually, I won best costume, by the way, thanks to Paul Mead. He loaned me that outfit. So um, I think if you remember, this is also the used car salesman uh, that was at the Trunk or Treat. That, that was Paul that day. Uh, but this is Mark Itting, and so I got the, the best dress. But it was fun to kind of watch people as they came to this. Mer- and some people were way better. It's like they had been like really practicing their part, working on their accent. I didn't realize who I was supposed to be until the drive over. And I'm trying to like, I'm a South African like sales. PR guy, and I'm like, I like looked up a thing on like how to speak, how to how to talk with a South African accent, and uh, like I was watching a two minute video, and I like I just the only thing I learned was right man, like that was it, like that was he taught me that one thing, and I I don't even know if I did it right still, but I just kept saying that phrase over and over again. That was about the extent of my acting, and I just I, so I didn't do really a great job. But some people are really into their roles, like um, I don't know if you knew it, but Adam Grotjan, like Grotjan, Grotjan, I don't know why I said that. But um, that dude, he is a really, plays a very good German part. You need to go ask him uh, to, to do his German. And uh, Claire is, actually makes a really great Austra- Australian girl. You have to ask her for that accent today. But I couldn't do it as much. Like, I, I'd kind of, I need to sharpen my acting skills, I guess is what I'm saying. Now, when it comes to everyday life, the truth is it might not be as dramatic as that. Uh, that you're playing a totally different role or you've got, you know, you're not, maybe some of you are not like undercover agents, you know, where you're like kind of have these dual roles going on, but perhaps it's more subtle because I think we're all taught to play various roles depending on who we're with. I mean, whether we recognize it or not, we shift who we are a little bit with who we're with, right? Who is our company? And we kind of know, how do I play, you know, specific, we even do it with like kids. You ever notice how you like change to a kid's voice when you're talking to a little kid? How you doing there, little guy? You know, whatever. Like, why do we do that? We sort of like mimic the environment that we're in and we play these roles. But maybe it's this. Maybe some of you, if you're really honest, you project one thing on Sunday and another thing throughout the week. Like, you've got this role that you play on Sunday where you're like driving over here and like, all right, guys, you know the drill. All right, y'all better not embarrass me. You better act well. You know, get your act together. I want you to march in here like well-behaved human beings and like we got two hours to play this part, right? Like, let's do it. And then you get back in the car and it's like, now what did you go? You guys not learn anything today? You know, didn't you hear him talking about the love of Jesus? I'm about to scare the love of Jesus into you, you know? Like, yeah, this whole thing. But 
we do this. We all do this in one way or another. We act one way at home, another at work. Maybe you project something in public, right, your public life, and then you have a totally different sort of private life going on. That's a very, without us even knowing it, that's really a tough thing to continue to maintain. It takes a toll, right? And now we all have social media, so we have this whole other thing we got to keep. You know, I got to build my, my brand out there. You know, I got to make sure that my brand is up and all my people out there in the world know that my life's really good, my family's got it all together, and we're doing all the things right, right? And so it can be really exhausting. And what this is typically fueled by is this desire for us to be liked. I mean, if we're really honest, we all like, nobody in here is going to be like, I would rather people hate me. Like that's, you know, maybe a few of you, okay? That's a whole totally different complex. But most of of us are like, you know, no, I want people to like me. Like I'm going to do the best that I can to at least at some level be liked, right? We like to be respected. But what ends up happening is when that's our key motivation, we start to see this inconsistency in these roles that we play, which really this inconsistency is the core of hypocrisy. The New Testament speaks of the lack of authenticity quite frequently with this word hypocrisy, this inconsistency, and Jesus calls it out time and time again. I mean, he specifically takes beef all the time with the religious leaders because he's like, I see what you project to everybody else, but trust me, I can see beyond it. Like, I see behind the costume, guys. Like I under- and so he uses this word, this word hypocrite, which refers to the act of claiming to believe something but acting in a different manner. The words derive from the Greek word actor, and this would have been a very offensive thing for him to say because they all understood what it was. It was this theater of the time where you would wear this mask, and Jesus is like, listen, I see right past your masks, guys. You might be fooling everybody else, but you're not fooling me. And he, he had very harsh words for folks that did that. He, um, in, in fact, he quotes Isaiah when he says this, these people come to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. It's not genuine. It's not authentic, he's saying. So he called them wolves in sheep's clothing, whitewashed tombs, snakes, broods of vipers. He'd rather you just be honest with him especially because he already knows And you know, like an undercover agent, I'm not one, I can't speak to this, but if you ask an undercover agent, the longer that they spend undercover, the longer that they play that role, the easier it is to identify with that role, the easier it is to forget which role is actually true. And the truth is, with us, after we pretend long enough, we end up fooling ourselves. Listen to what Brennan Manning has as he refers to this as the imposters in us. He says this, to gain acceptance and approval, the false self suppresses or camouflages feelings, making emotional honesty impossible. Living out of the false self creates a compulsive desire to present a perfect image to the public so that everybody will admire us and nobody will know us. The imposter's life becomes a perpetual roller coaster ride of elation and depression. The false self buys into outside experiences Buys, uh, self buys into self, outside self-experiences to furnish a personal source of meaning. The pursuit of money, power, glamour, sexual prowess, recognition, and status enhances one's self-importance and creates the illusion of success. The imposter is what he does. The imposter prompts us to attach importance to what has no importance, clothing with a false glitter what is least substantial and turning us away from what is real. The false self causes us to live in a world of delusion. The imposter is a liar. 
Now, most of us don't want that, but the anecdote might be just as difficult, if not more challenging. The anecdote to living a life as an imposter is tough. In a word, it's vulnerability. It's taking off the masks. It's to stop pretending. It's honesty with God, with ourselves, and then with others. And there might be some discomfort to go along with that, quite a bit of it even. Now, by the way, this doesn't mean that we share the nitty-gritty aspects of our story with each and every person we encounter, you know. Don't do that, you know. But it does mean that we stop trying to project one thing when the reality is something different. We stop trying to keep up this charade. We're honest. We're consistent. You know, Paul stumbled upon this truth when he kind of had his own battle with his own human weakness. He talked about this flesh this uh, thorn that he had in the flesh. And so what he said in the middle of that was, I dealt with this thorn in the flesh. It was this spirit of Satan that was given to torment me day in and day out. And he asked God to take that away. We don't know exactly what it was. But the Lord responds back with, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Because when you're weak, I'm strong. And so then Paul, from then on, he starts to, to sort of do this thing that which seems completely contrary to everything we've ever been taught and everything that's natural to us. And he starts to do this thing where he says, if I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to boast in my weakness. Can you imagine? Try that in a job interview. Like, hey, tell me about your strengths. I'd actually like to start with my weaknesses. Like, I got quite a few. You know, you want to hear them all, you know? Not a great thing to do in a job interview, right? I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine if this is the way that we really did social media? Like, you know, kids wringing each other's necks in the picture, like, you know, yeah, this whole thing, or like, hey, let's take a selfie, like, when we're in the middle of, like, a fight, babe, like, real quick, like, let's show the world, like, that, you know, what's going on, or like, can you imagine? Or, hey, let me get an Instagram pic of me after I just struck out, you know, in baseball or something, like, we just don't do that, right, like, that's not the self that we want to project, but Paul's like, listen, I'm going to boast in my weakness because it portrays God's strength in me. And I know that that's when God is most at work in me. And so my question for you is, who are you confiding in? Who are you actually demonstrating true vulnerability with? And guys, we're the worst at this, fellas in the room. I know for myself, and I've recently had to kind of face that fact and step into that more and more, and it really is a healing thing when you can finally get there. Again, it doesn't have to be everybody, but who do you have where you can be your true self with? Who knows you, weaknesses and all. Because what happens is when we open up to others, we shine a light on the imposter. We shine a light on our false selves, and those false selves begin to shrink. So we have to practice vulnerability if we want to step more into authenticity. And the next thing we need to do is to start uncovering your true self. We hear this sentiment often, right? None of us would agree with, disagree with the sentiment of just be yourself, right? Like, yeah, that sounds about right. Like, that's good. That's what we should do. On the surface, none of us would disagree with that sentiment, but the question that none of us bothers to ask is, wait a minute, which self are we talking about here? Which self are we really talking about? Because when we usually say that today, what we mean is, and what we've kind of defined it as, is that it is the self that we derive from within. In other words, being true to ourselves is whoever we feel that we are. It's this, it's this felt thing. What we should stop to consider, though, is that what if who we feel we are is not who we actually are? What if that's not our true selves? I know, mind blown, right? I'm getting really philosophical. I'll boil it down here in just a second. 
We had the president of our seminary speak to the student body at the beginning of the year. He had a conversation with um, one of the long-tenured professors and, you know, older guy, tons of wisdom, and he just asks him, he says, what is the one issue that, f- that we face in our day? The professor responded back to him. He said, it's the issue. The, the one thing that matters for today is that of personhood, of personhood. Well, what did he mean by that? Who we are, our identity. Because in a time right now, we, we see what uh, Dr. Timothy Tennant referred to as the rise of the therapeutic self. Simply put, this is the version of us that is completely tied to our feelings. It's, it's who we are within. It's the internal self. Our personhood is then defined by our ideal internal psychological state. So whoever I think I am, therefore I am. Whoever I feel I am, therefore I am. The problem with this is that our internal feelings often falsely lead us back to our flesh. They falsely lead us back to our old self. They keep us stuck in that self. Well, what's the solution? Here's the solution. We will never fully find ourselves by looking within ourselves, but rather beyond ourselves in Christ Jesus our Lord, the one who formed us, the one who truly knows us even better than we know ourselves. So rather than I feel, therefore I am, we must stand firm and proclaim to ourselves until it sinks in, God says, therefore I am. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What's that saying? It's saying that your new self is your true self. It's the self that God sees when he sees you. Even though you don't feel like you're quite yet there, right? From where I am now to where I could be, Jesus closes the gap from where I am to where I could be. I love what Thomas Merton says. He says, and he was one of the most spiritual, uh, most sought after spiritual guides of his day. And he one time said this. He said, if I make anything out of the fact that I am Thomas Merton, I am dead. And so his solution was this, quit keeping score altogether and surrender ourselves with all sinfulness to God who sees neither the score nor the scorekeeper, but only his child redeemed by Christ. That is true of you, friends. Find your identity in Christ. If you keep identifying with your internal self, how you feel, who you feel you are, you will always stay stuck between two selves. But live in line with your new self and you will find your true self. You'll also be able to do what comes next, which is to keep experiencing your God-sized story. When we can authentically be our true selves, the world has a lot to gain. Your family has a lot to gain. This is when we make the greatest difference, is when we can finally, truly be the self that God created us to be. I've recently been compelled by the work of a man named Jamie Winship, and his story is really compelling, but he, he... was originally kind of this D.C. Metro police officer. He felt like God really had kind of called him into this role. He's got all kinds of crazy stories about times where God had really kind of like revealed something to him or or just kind of prompted something in him. And at one point in time, he like 
he, he, there was this missing child, and he felt prompted just to pull over this random vehicle like one day, and he pulls it over, and there in that trunk was the, the missing child and just stuff like that. But uh, then he moved from kind of this role into a role in the Middle East, and he went over into the Middle East into some just really hostile regions. And the whole point of him being over there in these regions was to kind of de-escalate some of the conflict that was going on over there. And now get this. This is the way that he went over and did that. He didn't go over to establish programs. He didn't go over to establish infrastructure or anything like that. He went over there to speak identity into individuals. He would target leaders and key leaders and these militant leaders, and he would speak God's love into their life. He would speak the truth of their identity and who they were. And you would see these guys that were just so overwhelmed by the truth of the gospel that transformation began to take seed in their life. And it was this transformation that then, you know, began to create stability in different groups and things like that. It was really just this incredible thing. And just recently, he did another uh, seminar, like this retreat with, through this group called the Identity Exchange that he started. He goes over into um, this, this, uh, into this like Muslim um, school or to, to this retreat or seminar. They bring in this main speaker that's actually from that region, and he's got this PhD. He's got a PhD in Sharia law, and he's like, so very much accredited individual. And over in that culture, one of the things you do is you read off all your credentials. And as he read off his last credential, the main speaker, he goes, and the most important thing about me is that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And the room is just like, it's, it's an entire room of people that were, you know, I mean, they were true diehard Muslim people. And so they were irate that he would like say that. And like, you know, but he's also fr from their culture. And so they're having this like hostile conference. The, the speaker is like undeterred. He still goes on and he's doing this seminar over and over again. And they're doing this identity thing. And they're walking them through this process day in and day out. And on the last day of the event, the speaker gets up there and he says this statement. He says, we must as Muslims receive the gift of Jesus as our savior. He is the only way into the kingdom. He is the only hope we have for the future. And then he asked the difficult question. He said, all right, who agrees? And in that room, one of the most influ influential men among them, one of the most resistant, stood up and said, I've wanted to believe this my entire life. I just didn't know we were allowed to. Yes, I agree. And everybody in that room clapped in agreement. Only the love of Jesus can do that. Only the love of Jesus, when it breaks into our life, can free us up to be who we were truly meant to be so that new self can give way to new story. Winship writes these words. He says that the gates of hell cannot stand against us moving into our true identity. And friends, that's what I want for you. Only the love of Jesus can do that. If you've never experienced that, I would love to talk you through that, walk you through that, and help you continue to step into your new identity, which is your true identity. So stop living small, stop hiding, stop pretending, and start uncovering your true self. Keep experiencing that story that you were meant to live, and it's not a small story. The enemy wants to keep you stuck. He wants to keep you living that old self. He wants to keep you believing that you'll never amount to anything. But God has big plans for you. I know that because you're here today. And he's not done with you yet. So if you allow me to, I just want to read one scripture as we close and then pray for you. 
And it comes from Galatians 6, 4 through 5. I'd encourage you to, to spend some time with this scripture this week and actually do this very thing. Rather than this just being a message, I hope that it's something that you actually sit with and do something with. It says this, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Your life needs to be lived. God created you with a purpose, and he wants you to fully step into that. He has you right where he wants you. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the truth of your scripture. Thank you for the identity that we get to receive in Christ and Christ alone. We could never really amount to much on our own, God, but with your power at work in us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, anything is possible. So help us to stop living small. Help us to stop living and hiding. Help us to stop pretending. Help us to be real and stay real. We give you thanks for Jesus who made this all possible. It's in his name we pray. Amen.